Good evening, and a warm welcome to our service online. It's good that you can join us. Uh, just a reminder, as uh, we have done in previous weeks, we are having our coffee time after this service, so that will be around 10 past 7. And again, if you are having trouble accessing that, uh, please let me know, and we can see uh, how we can help you with that. Let me begin our service this evening with some words from Psalm 57, verses 9 to 11. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to have a reading from there that you can follow along with. Uh, we're going to actually have two separate places in the Bible we're going to look at. First of all, we're going to look at a couple of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 14, 31 and 19, verse 17. Uh, but it might be helpful to turn to James chapter 2 and verses 14 to 26, which is where uh, the longer section of our scripture reading is coming from, James chapter 2 verses 14 to 96. But before uh, I read that passage, let me read you these two Proverbs. Proverbs 14 and verse 31 says, 
Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Then Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And then James chapter 2 from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is God's word. Well, these verses in James and what we read in Proverbs talk about caring and helping the poor and the vulnerable as an expression that shows our faith in God. And Jesus is going to speak about that very subject in Matthew chapter 25 this evening. Uh, As a church, though, we do support uh, a number of different Christian organizations that are involved in this kind of work amongst vulnerable people. Uh, And one of those works is the work of Just Caring Midlands. And this week I interviewed Pete Mountford, Uh, who runs Just Caring Midlands, uh, to explain a bit of what they do. So let's listen now uh, to that interview. Good to see you. Um, So uh, just interviewing uh, you for uh, getting some information about Just Caring today. Uh, So a few people won't know who you are in our our congregation. So can you just explain who you are and and where you're from? Okay, yeah, my name's Pete. Um, I'm from Birmingham. I've, I've lived here all my life. Uh, I'm a member of Monihull Church. Um, I also am married uh, to, to Anne, who is from Wales, uh, which did make a couple of weeks ago very stressful uh, when we watched the rugby. Um, I have two boys, uh, one who's doing A-levels and one who's a baker. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's who I am. Yeah. And you're the director of Just Caring Midlands. That's so right. can you just explain... Uh, to us what uh, Just Caring Midlands is and what, what you do. Okay, yes, Just Caring Midlands is a, is a Christian charity uh, which is based in Birmingham. Um, the aim of the charity is to provide ongoing and long-term support to vulnerable adults. Um, it was set up around eight years ago um, when uh, some guys from the church I attend, Money Hull, and uh, Gerald Tanner, a number you're familiar with from Lapworth, uh, were very concerned that we were in our various roles were coming across um, young people who were needing uh, support and not getting it. They were falling through the cracks of services. A lot of the services that were provided at the time, and it's still the case now, were very short-term, uh, very short-term uh, support and very targeted at, very, uh, very, at various things. And we just felt there was a need for 
kind of long-term kind of supports to it so we could walk with young people through life we're very much inspired by the work of caring for life in leeds which again i know as a church you that you're involved with um so they are uh, so yeah they were we're very much following their model of trying to provide um kind of ongoing support uh, and we do this in, a, in in various ways we do this on a one-to-one -one basis where we meet young people in their in their homes um and take them out to various places and we also in normal times we run a number of group activities so we have a regarding project um which uh, your very own jan lawrence is, is involved with um and we also have uh, craft activities and we do cooking sessions and we also run a drop-in so the idea is to bring young people together uh, to so as a kind of as a community so they can support one another and, and our aim very much is to is to through all these things is to share the love of jesus with those that we those we care for and so that's really as a as a as a charity. That's what we do, and we have been doing for the last kind of eight years. That's uh, really great work, and we're, we're just as a church thrilled uh, that we can support the work of Just Care Midlands. Um, but just though, just explain to us though, over the last year, um, like all of us, we've been under restrictions. Uh, how's that impacted Just Caring? Yeah, it has. I mean, as I said, we, we under normal circumstances, uh, we, we would work with young people in, in a number of group, acts, group activities. And, and unfortunately, right from the early days of the of the, of the COVID virus, we had to um, stop doing our group activities. Um, so the kind of the cooking workshops and the crafts and the drop-in, and even also sadly the gardening project, uh, even though for a large part of the year we could have been doing that but because we we didn't have a uh, we didn't have access to water or toilets on the site and the ones that we would normally use were were closed to us we had to stop all those services so we very quickly moved all those things onto zoom so we we we've been uh, we've we've run zoom sessions for the guys that we've that we've worked with um so and so we did a grew a weekly zoom drop-in we also have been doing kind of uh, uh weekly craft uh, well fortnightly craft sessions and fortnightly gardening sessions all on zoom um the one-to-one -one support went moved to be largely on online and um uh, and also kind of phone calls a lot of phone calls um so we've we managed to continue to offer the support but obviously from a from a bit of a distance we, we were able through the summer <clears throat> towards the end of last year we were able to offer kind of one-to-one -one support but that was only kind of in a park and going for walks with people um and i think so that's been the the change of the actual what we what we've been doing we've also been aware that for the young people we've supported the um it's the, the, the COVID, like, like for many of us, have, has had a has a kind of a detrimental effect on them. A lot of them found the the isolation really difficult, um, and yeah, so it's been so we've also been having to find different ways of how to provide kind of support to them. So it's been it's been a, a challenging year. We have had encouragements as well along the way. So, how can we as a church then be praying? effectively for just caring when we've got a, a prayer meeting this week we'd love to uh, bring your ministry before the lord uh, what what can we do effectively in our in our prayers i, th I think we'd very much pray very prayer for those that we support um as i say for grace for them as, as as we come out of lockdown i think there's a for some um this has been a, it's, it's going to be difficult to get back into some of the activities that they've what they've once enjoyed um I think for others there is a, there is a certain kind of um, concern about the whole issue of vaccines and what have you. So I pray for grace for them. Um, I pray for wisdom as as a charity as we we look to re restart various activities. Um, we're very keen to do that. Um, one of the main things is uh, is that we we've kind of uh, this has kind of pushed us down with, with particularly COVID has pushed us down this route of been needing to have in, increase the services. That we have at the gardening project and actually what we would like to do um, is we'd like to return where the gardening project into a hub of activity so we run all our activities from there and presently we, we are looking uh, to start a building project we've just been given the permission by ball village trust where we're working with a with a, a guy from emmanuel church in leamington who's a who's, who's been great he's come on board as a building developer um, he's been helping us put together a plan to have a kind of a hub building and um so we'll be able to run up all our, all our activities from there because i think we we're very keen that moving forward that 
our, their act, our activities are done as much as we can as, as a group so we can have that sense of community um so yeah we're very prayer for that i mean we've got pray pray for wisdom as we look to develop that pray for the practical side of things that we get the planning permission now from the council and also we raise the relevant funds to be able to do that and, and i think most of all we as we said right from the beginning our aim is to what we really want to do is have uh, be able to share the love of Jesus with those that we we support, and just those opportunities to do that, and to give them to give those that we support who who struggle with a lack of hope, uh, you know, that we can be able to give them that hope um, and to and to point them to Christ. That's one of the things we would love the opportunity to be able to do. So, just yeah, wisdom in those areas, um, and God's continual guidance and, and uh, plans for the future. Yeah, well, that's really helpful. And just it's great for us to be able to know uh, how we can be praying for you guys. Uh, and we will we will do so. Uh, and as I've said, we're really uh, thrilled that we can support the, the work that is going on with Just Caring. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you and thank the church for I mean, you've 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 partnered with this with this work right from the very beginning before before Just Caring uh, it was even even an organization. We came to you with myself and Gerald came and we very much appreciated the the, the prayer and practical support we've received from you. And we're we love it. It's lovely to have Jan on our, on our team and uh, it's, it's been great. So thank you. Thank you all very much. Well, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that as a church we can support the work of Just Caring Midlands and we thank you that they are serving you through sharing the love of our Lord Jesus Christ with vulnerable people in their community. And we pray for this work today. We pray for those who are being supported by Just Caring and ask that you would sustain them through this difficult period where they have not been able to be supported in the ways that they have been in the past. Uh, we ask that you would give wisdom to the support workers, that they would uh, have wisdom in knowing how best to help and support in these days of restriction. We pray for wisdom for them in restarting activities. We pray that the right activities would begin at the right time that would have the best impact on those who are being helped. And we pray for the gardening project, asking that you would provide the planning permission and the funding required to get this off the ground and a space made to equip and expand the work of Just Caring Midlands in the future. And finally, we pray that those who are supported would be provided with their greatest need of all, to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ themselves as Saviour and Lord. We ask for your salvation to come through the work of just caring. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
As we've been thinking about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we've been uh, learning over the last few weeks, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Uh, and this is the last week that we'll be doing this together as, uh, as, a, as a congregation. Uh, so I'm going to read as before uh, the words as they're on the screen. And uh, if you would follow, please, along with me as I read. So 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Well, if you return in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, uh, as I've just said, we're coming uh, to the end of uh, this section where Jesus is teaching about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to look at verses 31 uh, down to the end of the chapter there in verse 46. Uh, As we've gone through the uh, Gospel of Matthew, often uh, Jesus has talked of a distinction between two kinds of people. Uh, We've seen uh, in the Sermon on the Mount the narrow way and the broad way. Uh, We've seen the wise builder and the foolish builder. Then there was the parable of the net, which showed good fish and bad fish separated at the end of the age. In the parable of the net, uh, we read this. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. And then in Matthew 16, Jesus again talks about the second coming. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So this theme of two kinds of people, of judgment and of separation at the end of the age is a common thread through the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, it's a common thread throughout the Scriptures. As far as the Bible is concerned, there are really two kinds of people in the world. Those who follow God and are on their way to heaven and eternal life, and those who have rejected God and are on their way to eternal destruction and hell. And we come to another example today of this judgment and separation of people. We've seen the narrow and the broad way, the wise and the foolish builders, the good and the bad fish, but today we see the sheep and the goats. And remember we're in this section of Matthew's Gospel where we're thinking about the end of the age, the time when Jesus will return. And he's been speaking about this second coming since really the middle of chapter 24. And Jesus has used various illustrations about what it will be like and what it means to be ready for it. So we've seen in chapter 25, for example, uh, two parables already about being ready for his return. We saw Jesus described as a bridegroom for whom we are to be prepared to arrive. And then Jesus last week is described as a master who entrusts us with resources to whom we must give an account. We have seen how we are to be waiting and working in preparation for his return. And uh, I described it last week as Jesus giving us different pieces of a jigsaw which makes a picture of his second coming, which when you add the pieces from all over uh, the scriptures gives us a better picture of what it will be like when he returns. And we've seen that we need to wait, we've seen that we need to work while we are waiting, and today we see a little bit more detail about what kind of work we are to be involved in as the people of God as we are waiting for Jesus to come. So let's read together Matthew 25 and verses 31 to 46. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is... God's word. And Matthew presents us here with how we are to live in the light of the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, He shows us the end of time so that it's in our vision and so we can live in the light of that vision that is coming. And be in no doubt, this day is coming. Jesus is returning, and he is going to come, and he's going to judge. Assuredly, as he rose from the dead, which he did, and ascended to heaven, this day is coming. And in fact, this isn't really a parable. Uh, You'll often hear or, or read of the parable of the sheep and the goats, but it's really a prophecy that uses the illustration of sheep and goats being separated. And we know it's a prophecy because it doesn't begin with anything like the kingdom of heaven is like. It begins with, in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes. So this is a prophecy of what will come in the future as a kind of rounding off of this uh, couple of chapters teaching on his second coming. But before we think about how we need to act in the light of that day, It's worth considering that day by looking at the judge whom we will stand before. And the first thing we see here is that Jesus is the sovereign king over all people. Jesus describes the future time. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, you may remember me mentioning before that the Son of Man is a reference to the book of Daniel, where Daniel describes one like a Son of Man who comes to the Ancient of Days and takes his throne, wherefrom he will rule with power and authority over all peoples, all nations. And Jesus picks up on that imagery and describes himself throughout the Gospels as this Son of Man figure from Daniel, the one with authority over all. So this is talking about Jesus. And here is this Son of Man, and he's coming from the Ancient of Days, 
and he's with his angels, and he is sitting on a glorious throne. And sitting on a throne is the place of judgment. And that's true today. The monarch, a monarch, sits on a throne, and from that throne they make judgments, don't they? They decide things. And Jesus here is sitting on a glorious throne. And in verse 32, we see that all nations will be gathered before him. So he is over all earthly authorities. All will come before his glorious throne. There's been many mighty and powerful empires in the history of our world. But every one of the rulers of all of those empires will bow before Jesus. Every person in those empires will come before this glorious throne. Every person who has ever lived from every nation over all time are going to come before Jesus for the judgment. And we see that at this glorious throne, at this judgment, there will be a separation. And this separation is illustrated as a separating sheep from goats. Now at the time uh, of Jesus, sheep and goats would mingle together during the day. And they would have been separated at nighttime into distinct groups of sheep and goats because the sheep apparently could cope better with the cold weather of the evening, whereas the goats needed to huddle together in order to keep warm. That seems to be what was going on and the illustration from which Jesus picks up on here. And he uses this illustration of this separation to explain what will happen at the judgment seat at the end of the age. So at this point in history, where we are right now, in 2020, as throughout all of history past and until the day Jesus comes, all different kinds of people are mixed together. But at the end of the age, there's going to be a separation. And verse 33 tells us that the sheep will be placed on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. And in the Bible, uh, the right hand is always the place of honor. And we still use that kind of uh, terminology today. Uh, we, we talk about, for example, a right-hand man, not a, a left-hand man. A right-hand man being the one who is our, our helper or uh, our friend. So in this account, you want to be a sheep on the right hand of the king. So before we come uh, to what shows whether you are a sheep or a goat, it is important to stop and consider what this is saying about our Lord Jesus Christ. What, what is he saying about himself? He is saying that he is the sovereign king over all peoples. And he is the one before whom all, including you and me, are going to have to stand before one day. This day is coming. Now when Jesus came to the world the first time, he came as a baby in a manger so that he could save us from our sins. But when he comes a second time, he is coming as a king in the clouds so that he can judge all peoples. He's not a baby anymore. He is a king and he is coming. Just as he came the first time, and that happened in history, so he will come a second time, and that too will happen in history. And this passage forces us to ask this question. When I stand before him, how is he going to find me? And so I urge you to listen carefully to the rest of this passage as it describes the judgment that is coming. And the judgment is split into two parts and they show opposites. There is opposite judgments and there is opposite behavior from which 
this judgment comes, because, uh, from which this judgment comes. What we see is the behavior and outcome for the sheep who are the righteous and the goats who are the unrighteous. And what we see first of all is that the righteous are shown by their care for God's people. The sheep can be classed as the righteous because that's what they're called in verse 37 when it says the righteous will answer him. But before we get there, Notice verse 34, where we see a description of the judgment and the destiny of the righteous. And there are four wonderful truths in verse 34. First of all, we see that there is a welcome, a welcome. Notice that the king here tells them to come. He welcomes them in, come. So the king wants these sheep to be with him. And he's speaking to the sheep, by the way, because he's saying to those on his right in verse 34. So the the first wonderful truth is that there is a a welcome. Uh, Secondly, we see that there is divine favor. Divine favor. Notice that they are called by the king, blessed by my father. This means that God the Father has shown them favor. This means that they've been forgiven of their sins and have been given eternal life, not because they've earned it, not because they've been good little sheep, but because they've been shown favor by the Father. So there's a welcome, there is divine favor. Thirdly, there is an inheritance. The king says to them, take your inheritance. Now an inheritance is something that you receive when someone dies. Usually so it's in the future, isn't it? And the inheritance for the Christian, we read throughout the scriptures, is heaven waiting for us in the future. So we're going to have an inheritance that we can take heaven, eternal life. And the final wonderful truth is that this inheritance is prepared for us. It's prepared for us. It was planned in the past. We're told that it was prepared for us since the creation of the world. This means that before the world was made, God had planned and prepared a kingdom for us who have been favored to be in. What an amazing outcome at the judgment. Last week we saw a wonderful uh, outcome at judgment, didn't we? Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. We get that, uh, that divine approval. But this week we see more of that jigsaw of what that will be like when we are God's people we see amazing things. We see a welcome. We see the divine favor. We see it's an inheritance. We see that it's prepared for us. The sheep are welcomed into an internal inheritance that is prepared for them because they are favored by God. And uh, this is teaching which is throughout the New Testament, um, a, 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 a chapter that um, if, you, if you know your Bibles, is perhaps ringing in your head is Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. See there, chosen before the creation of the world, just like Jesus said. And and later in that chapter, Paul talks about our inheritance. This is amazing stuff for which we should be crying out with Paul. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. But how do we know that this is for us? How do we know that we are sheep? Well, Jesus goes on to describe what sheep do. But before we see this, we need to understand something, to remember something. 
This is what sheep do, but it's not what makes the sheep gain their inheritance. They do this because they're sheep. They don't do this to make them sheep. We have the inheritance because we are blessed by the Father and have been granted a place because it's been prepared for us before the creation of the world. We don't earn this. This is granted to us. It's given to us as a blessing. However, those who have been shown God's favor will show that they've been shown favor by behaving in a certain way. They are going to behave like sheep and not like goats. And so Jesus goes on to describe what the sheep are like. And in verses 35 to 36, we see what those who are favored by God act like. And what we see is that there is a concern for the needs of Jesus. Notice of how, how Jesus speaks here of very uh, physical, practical needs here that he has. Hunger, thirst, homelessness, nakedness, sickness, and imprisonment. Uh, by the way, when, when someone was imprisoned at this time, they were dependent on outsiders for food. The prison authorities did not feed them. They needed some help. And so we see here the sheep have provided for all of these physical, practical needs. Now, they're not spectacular acts. None of these things on their own would, would make the news, would they? I mean, you don't read in the news of this kind of thing. What's newsworthy usually is the, the spectacular but Jesus here speaks of the everyday acts of kindness for the physical needs that he has. They're simply providing for the needs of Jesus. But what is strange in this section is what we see in verses 37 to 39. Let me read you uh, those verses and notice why the sheep are surprised that they have been um, told what they have done. It says in verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The sheep are surprised, not that they did these things, because they did them. So if, if you fed the hungry, you're not surprised when someone says, you fed the hungry. What they're surprised at is that they did this for Jesus. Notice in these verses how the sheep repeat the word you over and over. When did we do this for you? When did we see you a stranger? When did we see you ill? And so on. They're shocked that they'd helped Jesus. And perhaps the shock is, is there because right now as they're being judged, they're looking at Jesus and he's there as the king over all nations on a throne. He certainly doesn't look like he needs feeding and clothing because he's the judge. And so they're saying, well, when did we do this for you? Well, Jesus answers their question in verse 40, doesn't he? Look at that verse. It says, the king will reply, truly I tell you. And whenever Jesus says that, by the way, that means this is really important to understand. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now when Jesus says the least of these, he's talking about those who are dependent, those who are in need. He's used this kind of language before, especially when describing uh, how to enter the kingdom as a little child. He, he, to him, children are an example of the least of these. 
What Jesus is saying here is that the way that we treat other believers is the way that we treat him. He is identifying himself with his people. They are one. And again, this is common teaching throughout the New Testament. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, we read, Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is persecuting the church, the people of God. And Jesus stops him on the road to uh, Damascus and says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. So Jesus is saying there that you're persecuting my people, so you're persecuting me. And then Ephesians chapter 5.30 talks about Christians, for we are members of Christ's body. So how you treat God's people is how you treat Jesus. And God's people show they are God's people by how they treat God's people. And this is especially true here of their physical needs. Now there is a sense in which we must be as Christians uh, having a concern for the needy in the world in general. We should be working and concerned to reduce poverty and injustice and so on. But this passage is speaking to Jesus' disciples about how they treat other disciples of Jesus and their physical needs. Uh, Again, Paul the Apostle is helpful here when he says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we are to be concerned with uh, the world in general, but we're to be especially concerned to care for those who belong to the family of believers. And when Matthew was writing his gospel, and when Paul was writing his letters indeed, becoming a Christian often meant that you were forced to become poor, in prison, and sick due to persecution and rejection. But how do we apply this passage to us today? Well, first and foremost, we need to be working to make sure that within our local church, people are provided for. If we see a need, we should seek to meet that need. And if we're not able to, to if we haven't got the resources ourselves to meet those needs, then it's wise to come and speak to to an elder or uh, to the deacons and and show them the need so that we can discuss and see how best uh, as a church uh, we can help. Uh, As we read in our Bible reading earlier, James is really helpful here. Uh, James, in fact, in James chapter 2, in the verses I'm about to read, uh, really effectively commentates on what Jesus has said in Matthew 25. Uh, James is teaching that you cannot have faith in Jesus and then not live it out. And one of his examples is this. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, there are different ways of helping. Sometimes giving money can be unhelpful, in fact. We should encourage and help people into work where we can. But within the church family, we should not have anyone as a member who does not have their physical needs met. Uh, Like in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 4, where we read, there will be no poor people, or sorry, there need no poor people among you. So if you see a need, see how you can help. That's the the first uh, way we can apply it. But another way of applying this, though, is, is beyond our local church. 
Uh, We should be generous as God's people. But all of us have finite resources, don't we? And I believe we can take from this passage that with those resources that we do have, whilst there are many worthy charities to which we could give our money, as Christians we should direct our giving as much as we can to the local church and to Christian charities who are seeking to reach the poor and needy with spiritual as well as physical needs, where the gospel is being shared. Now as a church, for example, we uh, gladly give to taste and to caring for life and to just caring Midlands, as we saw earlier on, who are examples of helping the vulnerable in a Christ-like way, as he tells us to here. And they meet the needs of people both in the physical and in the spiritual realm as well as they share the gospel in a holistic way. But in applying this as well, I just would like to mention something else which has been on my heart as I've been preparing this. In our church, uh, we have and have had many wonderful examples of Christians who have cared for their spouses, their parents, and their siblings who have been vulnerable and have done so in such a wonderful and Christ-like way as is mentioned here. And your acts of care have been unseen and have been unheralded and perhaps unnoticed and sometimes even by the people that you're caring for. But this passage can encourage you that whilst your acts of kindness and love and Christ-likeness may not make the headlines, they are noticed by our Father in heaven. And they are commended by him and will be commended by him on the judgment day. Keep going in your love and care. It does not go in vain. Well, if the sheep show their righteousness by their care for the needy, the goats show the opposite, don't they? The unrighteous are shown by their lack of care. Now, the goats stand before the judge, and what we basically see is the opposite of what has just gone before. Uh, They are on his left rather than his right. And in verse 41, we see the place of judgment for them. And just as we saw four wonderful, amazing, glorious truths for those who are sheep, those who are the righteous, favored by God, um, forgiven of their sins, so we see the opposite of those blessings for the unrighteous. What we see is, rather than four wonderful truths, four terrifying truths, don't we? Rather than being welcomed with the word come, we see that they are rejected with the words, depart from me. The goats are cast away from God. Rather than being declared blessed by my Father, we see that they are called you who are cursed. Rather than entering what Peter describes uh, in his letters as a glorious inheritance, they are sent to the eternal fire, the place of torment. And then rather than being in a place prepared for the righteous, they are in a place prepared for the devil and his angels. A place prepared for judgment for those who reject God and reject his Messiah, Jesus. It's terrifying, isn't it? And in verses 42 to 44, just like the righteous were showed by their character and their care for the needs of Jesus, the unrighteous show their true character 
by their lack of care for Jesus. Rather than being generous and kind and caring, they were stingy, unkind and uncaring. But what is interesting to note here is that they are not condemned for anything that they did specifically. They are condemned for what they rather didn't do. And we call these sins of omission. So sins of commission are sins that we actually do. So lies, murder, theft, adultery and the like. Now we will be judged for these things. This this picture that Jesus gives isn't everything we need to know about the judgment. And we've all committed those sins of commission in various ways. But sins of omission are sins that we commit by not doing something that we should. And you can in fact spend your whole life trying to avoid sins of commission. And so you might say, well I don't lie, I don't steal, I don't sleep around. And so you can think you're pretty good. And we can try and live like that purely because we think, well, that will mean I can avoid hell. So if I don't do certain things, I will be okay. But a Christianity which is all about hell avoidance is a very self-centered way of life, isn't it? It's all about me. And it's not true saving faith. True saving faith in Jesus will result in us looking out from ourselves and what we're doing to the needs of others. And we will actively obey the commands to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in verse 44, just like the sheep, they were surprised, again, not of what they are accused of, but of who they are being told that they are not helping. The goats don't deny that they have not helped the poor and the hungry. What they can't believe is that they didn't help Jesus. Perhaps they, would, they thought, well, if I'd have known it was you, Jesus, then I would have helped. But here is the point. True saving faith in Jesus does not help people to tick off a checklist. True saving faith in Jesus results in helping people because it comes out of a natural inclination from a changed, renewed heart. Just as Jesus is pleased with every act of kindness that you show to his people, so he sees all the times when you ignore and don't help them. And I would add, woe betide those who persecute God's people because they're persecuting Jesus himself and will receive their just deserts unless they repent and take, put their faith in him. Well, Jesus concludes with verse 46, a verse which should sober us. It says, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Are you a sheep or a goat? Well, how can you tell? You can tell by whether you have a concern for others, especially the people of God, and seek to help where you can. Now, we are not this side of heaven going to be perfect. We will mess up. We will miss things. We will even ignore things that we shouldn't. All those things will happen. But we must and we will, if we are God's people, have a heart for those of his people who are in need. And where we recognize where we've gone wrong, if we are sheep, we will repent and seek the forgiveness of God and move on in repentance and faith. But perhaps tonight you've realized as you've listened to this that you have never sought God's forgiveness for your sins. Perhaps you've realized that that you're on your way to this eternal judgment. In which case, I urge you to seek God's forgiveness through trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for your sin. This day is coming, so don't delay. 
Come to Jesus today and receive his welcome before it's too late and he tells you to depart from him. And as Christians, perhaps this week it would be a worthwhile exercise to spend some time looking at perhaps your giving, uh, perhaps praying through the prayer diary and asking God to show you where the needs are. Uh, One way you find out, by the way, is just speaking to one another, asking how you can pray and getting to know one another. But ultimately, we follow the example of our Savior. He saw us in our greatest need. We were dead in our sins. And he gave his life so that we could live eternally. So let us imitate him. And our final song for tonight speaks of him and how he lived out the words that he preached here. Let's sing with a prayer. This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Amen.